You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. everyone and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities and solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. So the data came from a bunch of different sources. And uh, as noted in the report, it's all observational and based off a lot of what we've been seeing here at Flashpoint. That's Liv Rowley, a cybercrime intelligence analyst focusing on the deep and dark web at Flashpoint. The report she's referring to is called Analysis, Pricing of Goods and Services on the Deep and Dark Web. Some of the information came from the English language dark web marketplaces, which have been in the news a lot over the past uh, you know, six months or so. We also looked at some of the card shops. We looked at some RDP shops and then the uh, forums. So both Russian and English language forums featured heavily in this. I want to uh, sort of work our way through the report together, talk about some of the different things that you all took a look at. Um, and the first one is called FULLS, which is F-U-L-L-Z. Uh, describe to us what we're talking about here. So FULLS are, uh, it's kind of cyber criminal slang for a full set of personally identifiable information. And that normally includes social security number, date of birth, and full name. Though, uh, as noted in the report, it can also include all sorts of other information. And take us through, how does the pricing break down for fulls? So we found that in English language uh, dark web marketplaces, which is where we did most of our fulls research for this report, your average price per record, you know, per fulls for social security number date of birth was between one and eight US dollars. So for example, if you wanted to buy somebody's credit card number with their accompanying social security number, that's going to be more expensive. Um, So there's other data that can be factored into this that would make it more expensive. But just 
the, you know, the typical social security number, date of birth, full name, that was between one and eight dollars. Yeah, I mean, it strikes me that uh, these are pretty cheap, the relatively low prices. Even for uh, uh, fulls that come with a lot more information, it's really, looking at the data here, it's under 100 bucks. Yes, yeah, it, it, it's pretty low. So let's move on to uh, some of the exploit kits. Um, take us through what you found with that. So exploit kits was, uh, this was quite interesting. We focused mostly on Russian language forums, which is where a lot of the exploit kits come from and are marketed. Uh, and exploit kits, they're rarely sold. They're often almost entirely rented out on either a daily, weekly, or monthly basis. And we found that the pricing for those tended to be very similar across exploit kits and across time for the newer ones, that is. So as an exploit kit comes out when it's you know first new, we found that uh, it goes for between $80 to $100 to rent per day, $500 to $700 per week, and $1,400 to $2,000. Per month, you know those ranges depend a little bit on different functionalities that these exploit kits might be offering. And uh, as noted in the report, if an exploit kit is older, if it's something that hasn't been updated fairly recently and it doesn't have those new functionalities, it tends to be priced lower than those ranges. And, and explain to us uh, what would I be purchasing these exploit kits to do? Exploit kits are used by cyber criminals who either they don't want to invest the time into uh, compromising systems themselves or they just don't have the skills to. So it's kind of a, an easy way for cyber criminals that, that don't have these capabilities to start infecting and compromising different systems. All right, let's move on to uh, DDoS. Certainly uh, lots of uh, news about DDoS over the past year or so. And uh, you can buy DDoS for hire. Correct. Yeah, this is a, a very you know popular and talked about service, especially in the media. So, what are the prices here? So, the prices uh, for DDoS for hire definitely vary a lot, uh, and this was one of the ones that we had trouble nailing down. You know, a typical price. We we say that botnets can be rented for a typical price of one to twenty seven dollars, which is a little bit of a range right there. And we weren't really able to determine what was determining these prices. Uh, they were varying. Some of these, uh, you rent them out by how much traffic you want to be sending towards the victim IP. Others are rented out on like a daily or weekly basis. So this was actually an interesting one to look at because there wasn't as consistent a pricing model as we saw with some of the other products and services that we looked at. So it seems, judging from the report, that the more sophisticated the DDoS for hire, the longer the attack, the more bots that they can wrangle to uh, to go at someone, that the price naturally goes up. Yes, typically that is that is the case. All right. Uh, moving on, you also looked at remote desktop protocols, RDPS. Um, take us through what's going on with this one. Yeah, so these are very interesting, um, and we've been seeing uh, these RDP servers being increasingly used uh, by cyber criminals in the past couple of years. Um, so we actually identified and, and looked at a couple of um, RDP shops, which are outside of the English language marketplaces and off the forums. They're just sites that exist that just specialize in selling thousands of RDPs. And on these sites, you can filter by all sorts of different things. You can say what type of country, or I'm sorry, which country uh, you are interested in buying an RDP from, if you want an RDP with admin rights and all sorts of other things. So one thing that we noticed is, again, we looked at two major RDP shops. 
And on one of the RDP shops, the pricing of these RDPs, pretty much $10 was a minimum that it would go for. And it would go all the way up to hundreds of dollars for an RDP. Uh, whereas on the other shop that we looked at, uh, they actually laid out their entire pricing model, which was quite interesting. And their max pricing possible was only $15. Hmm. So this one was really interesting for us to look at uh, because currently that more expensive shop has been more popular among cyber criminals. There's been more reporting from you know journalists and researchers on how this shop is being used by cyber criminals. Uh, but it, we're starting to see within our data set, within Flashpoint's data set, it looks like cyber criminals are starting to move to using this cheaper RDP shop more frequently. Hmm. All right, well, let's move on to uh, card data and bank logs. What did we learn from these? Card data was very interesting to look at. This was uh, another one where we just focused right on these card shops, which are sites that specialize in the sale of compromised card information. And the ranges for the pricing of card data were quite tremendous. And that can be influenced by all sorts of things, uh, depending on what country the card is coming from. If your card is uh, you know, a higher level card, like a gold card or a black card. So the ranges that we saw here were quite big. We saw that for cards, which uh, in cyber criminal language is your card number, your cardholder name, the expiration date and the CDV. So pretty much if you had physical access to a card, you would get this information that tended to $20. Whereas uh, card dumps and dumps are the actual track data. So what's written on the magnetic stripe that ranged in price from five to up to a hundred dollars at times. So there was definitely a range for the card data. Uh, one of the other things you looked at was U.S. passports. So we, we saw that there were three different formats of U.S. passports that were available for sale. One of them was just a simple digital scan. That can either be somebody else's compromised passport. You know, somebody, some hacker got these scans fraudulently, and that's a possibility for those. Uh, we also saw passport templates, uh, which are just, they're, you know, a, a template that you can... Uh, add information to or a picture to to make it look like a passport or especially a passport scan or we saw that there were also physical passports available for sale and these physical passports were the most expensive of these three groupings so while the scans were priced between five to sixty five dollars and the templates were priced between 29 and 89 we saw that the physical passports were between uh Twenty-nine eighty and $5,000, so significantly more expensive than those other two. You know, it's interesting to me, I think, and probably to a lot of our listeners, how inexpensive all of these records are. Um, is this simply a matter of supply and demand? So some of it definitely is supply and demand, especially, you know, this year and in years past, we've been experiencing these massive data breaches. And for a cyber criminal, let's say you've obtained social security numbers on, even if it's just a hundred people, right? That takes a lot of effort to monetize all 100 of those social security numbers. So in many cases, it's just easier to sell it off. Also, oftentimes these cyber criminals, they only know 
how to do one thing. So they might know how to compromise systems and steal this information, but they don't necessarily know how to, uh, you know, file a fraudulent tax return or how to open a bank account in somebody else's name or after the fact, how to launder that money. So sometimes it's just easier for them to sell it all off and that, that ends up being quite cheap a lot of the times. Yeah, it's always been something that's puzzled me, is uh, particularly when you have some of these people offering things as a service, you know, your DDoS as mm. a service and things like that, as to, you know, what's the what's the motivation for them to offer it as a service versus actually doing the crime themselves? Which which would be more profitable? So that's an interesting case you make for that. Yes, it's it is very interesting, and I think that's one of the the things that this report kind of highlights is that the deep and dark web and the cyber criminal element is it's absolutely an ecosystem and that's why these areas exist um is so that cyber criminals can come together and collaborate and make these purchases for information that they might not be able to obtain on their own or for services that they might not know how to carry out themselves what is your sense for how difficult it is to be a buyer of these sorts of services? Is there is there some sort of um, uh, initiation that you have to go through or, or demonstrate that you're a you know uh, prove that you're not law enforcement things like that? <laughs> so that that depends a lot on the the place where you're buying this information from, how difficult that is. So on places like the card shops or the RDP shops. Uh, it appears to be rather easy to create an account on one of these shops and then make some purchases and get that information. And it's also very, because there are entire websites that are set up to sell this, it's very impersonal. There's not, you know, a lot of uh, sensitive exchanges between the buyer and seller. Um, whereas sometimes in the Russian cyber criminal space, especially trust is very, very, very important in those spaces. And that's probably partially because the Russian speakers don't often use marketplaces. They they function primarily just on forums. So there's a tremendous amount of trust that has to go between these two, uh, you know, a buyer and a seller in order for them to start sending money between each other and, and letting each other, you know, use each other's services or see the data that they've stolen. It also strikes me that there's a, a, a sort of lack of proportionality where if I can buy even, you know, pay for a high quality credit card for $80 uh, and potentially have access to thousands of dollars of available credit, uh, the effect on that 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 may have on the person whose credit I'm stealing or, or dr bank account I'm draining is uh, pretty significant for that $80 investment. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, that point that you're making is especially highlighted in our section about uh, bank logs or compromised bank accounts, uh, where we, we talk about one particular vendor who had an account for a, a compromised bank account for sale with over $1,000 in it and was selling it for 90. And then they also had another account for sale that had $25,000 in it that they were selling for 390. So for $390, if you're a skilled cyber criminal, you have access to a bank account with $25,000 in it that you can drain and move into accounts that you control. And how does the actual moving of money take place? Are, are we talking about most of these transactions happening with Bitcoin? Uh, what, what's going on with that? Yes, most of the transactions happen with Bitcoin, though now we're starting to see these other cryptocurrencies gain a lot of popularity, especially right now uh, Monero, because it's such a privacy-minded cryptocurrency. A lot of cyber criminals are starting to 
push for that to become kind of the standard. What is your sense in terms of the presence of law enforcement? Are, are any of these people getting tracked down, or is this a case where crime really does pay? This is something I can't fully comment on just because I'm not involved in law enforcement. I'm on the vendor side. We're mm. just looking at this cyber criminal chatter in these marketplaces, um, though we definitely have seen in the past several months the arrest of some pretty high profile cyber criminals. One of the admins of the Dream Marketplace, which is currently the biggest darknet marketplace, uh, was arrested when he came to the U.S. Um, several months ago. There is some law enforcement effort, but in terms of the scale of it, that's something I'm not super sure about. So looking at the, the results of this, I mean, what is your advice? It seems to me like with some of these big breaches, your, your uh, chances are at least some of your information is out there. Does yes. the information you've gathered uh, inform the ways that people should uh, take efforts to protect themselves? Yes. Yeah, so especially when looking at the social security numbers and, and that personally identifiable information that's often sold in the form of foals. There are some things that one can do to at least uh, try to be aware of, of if they've been compromised. The advice tends to be just to pull your credit report occasionally and take a look at it and see, are there any credit cards on there that you don't know about? Or, you know, is there any loan that somebody is taking out in your name? And just be aware of what financial information is attached to you and your social security number and make sure that's correct. Another thing that's been suggested, especially after some of the more major breaches is to put a freeze on your credit report so that nobody can pull it, uh, you've frozen it. And that's because oftentimes cyber criminals will use these free credit report services to get a credit report on one of their victims and understand how to target them better. We've seen this been used by cyber criminals in the past to target people with HSA accounts, health savings accounts, where they could identify that that person had a health savings account and then go in and drain the money. Mm. So being able to protect that information can be something that can be done here. Occasionally, you'll find cyber criminals selling these foals organized by credit scores. So somebody with a higher credit score, their information would be sold for a steeper price than somebody with a lower credit score. Um, and that's because if you have a higher credit score, it's easier for you to get approved for you know new credit cards or whatever. Uh, so I just thought that was very interesting that cyber criminals were actually taking the effort to, and th this goes back to what I was saying about you know freezing your credit report, uh, taking the time to find out what all their victims' credit scores were and organize them and then commodify that information in different ways. And they're putting the effort in to, I guess, get maximum return on their investments. Absolutely. And it, yeah, if you're a buyer of this information, being able to know someone's credit score could be of great interest to you. Our thanks to Liv Rowley for joining us. You can find the complete report, Pricing of Goods and Services, on the Deep and Dark Web on the Flashpoint website in their blog section. Cyberwire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. 
Hey, listeners. We're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey and share your feedback now. Now. 